from Canada's Queen Media. We are back with our first interview of the day. We have Gary Lacasse from the Canadian AIDS Society lined up a little later in the show. But before then, I have been quite excited about this and I've been pestering the bejeebas out of these uh, folks uh, on Facebook uh, to make this interview happen. Uh, we are very excited to be chatting with the Glad Day Bookstore. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, do you want to introduce yourself and then we'll we'll jump into the subscription boxes that got me particularly excited? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Taylor. I'm the merchandise coordinator here at Glad Day Bookshop. If you're not familiar with us, Glad Day is the world's oldest remaining LGBTQ bookstore and Canada's first ever. We're located in Toronto, Ontario, and we recently, about five years ago, moved from our historic location to one block over uh, in our gay village, and it's now a more accessible space where we now have a bar, a cafe, kitchen, we run events, dance parties, book launches, lots of drag stuff, run, runs the gambit. Um, and now it's a lot more of a community space as well as a bookstore because bookstores can't survive on their own anymore. Uh, but it's a great place. <laughs> I've been here for a few years and recently took over the merch role. So I get to spend all my days looking up amazing Canadian queer and trans artists and giving them all the money I have. Which is my favorite. Excellent. I didn't know that I didn't know that you had moved. Um, because yeah. visiting the store is always a highlight for me for whenever I was in the village. It's great to hear you're still there. That in the, yeah, to say it village. wasn't accessible though, like it, it, those stairs down into that little like beautiful stone basement, but still like I I it was a slipping hazard waiting to happen. Yeah, we'll give you that. Now we're right at Church and Wellesley. It's beautiful, it's so much nicer. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you've sort of spread out into other areas. And we'll, we will touch on the subscription boxes in a minute. So I was excited to, you know, I didn't know that you moved. Um, it's an amazing space. But, you know, we're based here in Ottawa. And uh, we lost our queer bookstore. You know, it, it tried to pivot, um, you know, in, in the early days. I think very briefly, it was like an art space with like, very expensive pottery and there was like a, a reception there once but uh, I mean it was it was on its last legs and now I think um now I think it's a salon <laughs> it's it, we've completely lost it but queer bookstores are are struggling bookstores across the the you know as a whole are struggling have you found that there is an appetite you know from this pandemic for people to actually touch and feel books are you seeing a bit of a um, maybe an uptake in demand? Or are things still looking a little rocky at uh, Glad Day? It's interesting because when we were at our old location, you know, we were only a bookstore. And then we moved here and became this great community space. And book sales went down because there were other reasons to be here. Uh, but then COVID started and mm -hmm. everyone was stuck at home, bored with nothing to do. And our book sales skyrocketed again. So we're now making a lot more money from the bookstore that we, than we have historically at this location, which has been great. We've, our managers right now are phenomenal. They've been really working hard to get in more books in our like smaller selections. Um, for instance, we have books specifically to 
queer Middle Eastern narrative. They are reading so much more. Everyone that I talk to says, you know, I never read, but I've got nothing to do. Now I'm reading all the time. And I know it's the same for me. Um, you know, I quite like the, the functionality of, um, of your site, uh, gladdaybookshop.com, um, because it has those new releases, the, you know, the top 10 this year and, and you know, the things that one would expect to find in a bookstore. But then, you know, it's got gay and lesbian review highlights or two-spirited and indigenous narratives, uh, cutie BIPOC faves. And I think it just gives you a sense of, okay, like queerly Canadian, that mm-hmm. I gravitated straight there. And I'm like, okay, what's what's happening in that space? Um, you know, it frustrates me so much when I'm in a big mm-hmm. mega, mega bookstore like uh, Chapters. Um, and the only, you know, there's like one table of options. I ended up reading uh, Jay's Gay Agenda actually from from my, uh, my little uh, shop there. But, you know, there is just so much out there and they aren't really given the shelf space um, for the stories to be seen, let alone read. You know, do you find that there's sort of a, um, an important role that you play in providing that shelf space? Oh, absolutely. And I think especially since we try and work with Canadian and local authors whenever possible, and we try and work with people who are self-published, which a large majority of LGBTQ authors are self-published. So these are people who would have a lot harder of a time being accepted in a store like Chapters. And then even if they are accepted, they're buried in a shelf somewhere that nobody can see all of our books or 95% of them are queer and trans related. So we, instead of having that one tiny bookshelf about LGBT books, like you'd find at chapters, we instead get to have the specialty shelves be specific voices amongst LGBT literature. Actually, uh, you have a lot of pictures online and I'm looking at it right now. And uh, the, the, the space conversion I think is very positive because this is clearly a nice alternative space in the village for people to go then that's it really is more than just books because I know for for years I still in Toronto and when I was there people complained that there there was like one coffee shop uh and not just the second cup famous as it was um to go that was a dry space because not everybody really wants to go out drinking every night of the week and and just finding something else to do with your time even if just now and then like this is it really did create sort of a a positive space here i actually did have a question about um placing in orders because even with all this bookshelf space there's still finite space within the the store so I'm, i'm curious about like if you keep catalogs on hand of people being able to order things in like an old-fashioned bookshop yeah so we can order in basically anything that chapters are in and obviously we prefer to work with lgbtq titles but we can get any sort of regular bestseller as well we have a basement that's the entire length of the shop that's just filled with like floor-to-ceiling books we have so many more than what's on the floor it's a continuous problem of trying to find space for all of the books we have while still, you know, <laughs> still getting in hundreds of new books each week. So it's a bit of a losing battle, but it's a good losing battle. I was just saying when when there are so many options, you know, sometimes people end up with a sort of, uh, you know, a, a option paralysis where it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even know 
how I'm going to filter down and and yeah. uh, and uh, enjoy. And I think that segues quite nicely to the 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 book uh, queer book box. What was the motivation and the thinking behind creating the queer book mm-hmm. box? I mean, you did you did one in October. Just thinking a little bit about uh, the thinking behind that and how well it's going. So the subscription box is my baby project. I'm very emotionally invested in its existence. I know a lot of people who subscribe to book boxes, but when I was doing research, I found maybe two or three worldwide that did any sort of queer or trans focus. You know, I was thinking about that and I don't think any of the ones I found were, I think there was one in North America, uh, in the US somewhere, and the rest were overseas. Based on the conversations I had with people in store, like you're saying, there's so much to choose from. Nobody, it can be overwhelming uh, to try and pick what books you want to read, what genres you want to read. And we get a lot of people who come in who are brand new to queer literature at all. They've never read anything. Maybe they're just coming out. Maybe they're not queer, but they want to learn more about it. And they are often asking us, where do I begin? What's a good place to start? Which is one of my favorite things about working here, how good the staff are and how good the managers are at tailoring to that, but also, you know, still giving a good breadth of books to those of us who have read hundreds of queer books and always want more. So, the subscription box was a way that we thought of that we could sort of help curate that. So box one, we did Cemetery Boys and Stealing Thunder, which are both trans-specific high fantasy books. Two of my favorites that I've read this year by a wide margin. But from November going forward, we're hoping to do one more theory or nonfiction, and then one fiction, fantasy, uh, that sort of thing, so that you can get both kind of an introduction, learn more, and then a lighter read. There is a, a, a degree of, of curation that is going into this and sort of creating a, a narrative experience, uh, you know, in within the box itself. Now, I believe that the the authors aren't necessarily Canadian, but uh, for the the bigger package, the the merch that goes with it, they are they are Canadian creators. Is that right? Hmm. Excellent. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, you ship across the U.S. and Canada. Well, I would strongly recommend that uh, our listeners go and check it out if you've been looking to build your um your your queer library as it were and uh and some more things to read do you have a do you have a book you'd recommend one single book i have so many (laughs) uh so i'm gonna tell you about both of the books in box one because i really did deeply love them cemetery boys is a story about they're both ya Uh, Cemetery Boys is a story about a Latino trans guy who summons a ghost to help convince his family that he's a guy. Uh, There's a little bit of crime fighting. There's supernatural. There's a queer love story. It's super cute. Um, 
I thought I was over the emotional part because I was near the end and I was just sobbing on the streetcar. I was like, I can't, I can't wipe my eyes because COVID, it was, it was a lot. I was just full on bawling for like 10 minutes on the streetcar as I finished this, it was fine. And then the other one, Stealing Thunder, is about a hijra, which if you're not familiar, uh, this is sort of like a third gender, mostly in South Asia, uh, typically trans feminine. She is sort of trying to figure out her life and there is a war, there's a cute straight love story, there's sex work, there's revenge, there's dragons. It's a really fun, faster-paced book about her reclaiming a part of her life that she had lost. The, the trans character in them exists as a whole person who happens to be trans, and it talks about their transness. They're both phenomenal reads. I highly recommend them. Well, for uh, in- folks interested in signing up for the subscription box, uh, you can find it quite easily on Glad Day uh, Bookstore's website. <laughs> and uh, they have a wild, wild, a wide uh, array also available um, across the whole store that you can also order uh, online and have delivered. So I want to thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to join us as people are thinking of of their Christmas gifts. Hopefully this gives them a new new idea to, to work with. Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Excellent. And we will be back just after
Welcome back to Cancri, home of Canada's Queen Legion. My name is Nick Smith. And I am Sebastian. And we are very excited to be joined by longtime friend of the show and uh, the executive director of the Canadian Aid Society, Gary Lacasse. Thank you so much for joining us today. How have you been? Fantastic. I'm getting better and uh, being, doing well. I'm happy to see you guys. And here are you guys. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so a little earlier, I think we had Love by Okide. All of that is to say, the reason why we're reaching out to you is this upcoming week is big. There's, there's a lot going on. And on the Canadian Blood Services front, there is potentially something going to happen at some point in the next 12 months, maybe. Um, I want to give our listeners a bit of a reminder. The... Justin Trudeau Liberals in 2015 promised at the time to remove the ban on men having sex with men from donating blood. Uh, He came into power, said it was discriminatory and all of these lovely uh, words to that effect. Um, It went then from a lifetime ban to five years to three years to three months. If I remember correctly, there was a recent statement from Health Canada saying it's not us, it's Canadian Blood Services. Canadian Blood Services were saying, it's not us, it's Health Canada. And the uh, Liberals uh, were just pointing at, it, it was like that Spider-Man meme where Spider-Man they're all pointing meme. at each other saying, it's not me, it's him. Yeah. Which is abhorrent. <laughs> According to a statement from the uh, Canadian Blood Services that's lacking an ounce of irony, uh, which I, I find quite amusing. But let's... Let me take a step back and focus on the good news. And the good news is that the Canadian Blood Services has issued a report to the Canadian Public Health noting that they would like to change the screening criteria uh, to now ask what someone has done sexually as opposed to who somebody is sexually, which is a shocking groundbreaking uh, moment for canadian blood services you should have had a drum roll there for i know <laughs> it was it was it was it's a big step for them um and this unironic statement from Catherine lewis was covered by the cbc and i quote sexual behavior not sexual orientation determines risk of sexual transmission of hiv Our proposed criteria will aim to precisely and reliably identify those who may have a transfusion transmittable infection, especially in the window period, regardless of gender or sexual orientation. I have a question here for Gary. Okay. (laughs) This, this report sounds like the dance remix of a song we've heard multiple times. So if you were a betting man, Gary, how much money would you put on it being the real deal this time? I've been in consultations with CBS for the last couple. Well, we've been with, we've partnered with them for consultations for years, even more than yeah. years, decades. Because we've heard so, this exact announcement at least three times in my memory. Well, we had one a couple of months ago, but it was only about plasma. We were aghast when they brought forward the plasma project because we thought that we were finally there because... Remember all the millions of dollars that were doled out for research a few years back that they also extended for next couple of years. So this looks like the legit thing happening now from the consultations that I was in at the beginning of October and in June. So what I'm keeping their feet 
to the to uh, the fire about is to ensure that the questions that we saw in October are the ones that are going to be brought forward to Health Canada. We can't go forward without thanking the work of Christopher Karras in this. You know, like Christopher Karras is the guy who sued the government to have the blood ban eradicated. And they got the, our federal government, Trudeau, saying, we want to bring this down to zero for the, blood, the gay blood ban. What happened was that they sued, they countersued Christopher Karras in the, at the Human Rights Tribunal to dismiss his case, requesting that the blood ban be completely annihilated. So this is speaking out of both sides of the mouth. Yeah. And this is this is where uh, during this election there was so disingenuous, and I just like we were very peed off uh, with the liberals and with Trudeau because Trudeau kept saying, "Well, I want this to be done," but he has no power on it that we thought. Then through the Human Rights Tribunal, we found out that yes, they did, and they could have brought the blood ban down to zero. At requesting CBS and Emma Quebec to do exactly what they're doing now. So we went through all this dancing, Sebastian, to your qu initial question, mm. dancing and proposing for nothing. So it's like, uh, it's, it's just that. And But uh, we do hope that the questions reflect what we're talking about, but there's still going to be gray areas. Mm. I mean, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the court case because when we covered it, you know, the, the, the allegation was that the federal government and particularly Public Health Canada, um, they sole source blood from this one vendor and they can decide the, you know, the, the requirements for that vendor. It's well within their authority. And then the Canadian government countersued, as you rightly said, essentially saying, it's not us, it's them. And the whole time... Canadian Blood Service has been going, it's not us, it's Health Canada. Now that Canadian Blood Services has finally, after years, have reached the same conclusion as many other countries, including Italy, the UK, a few different states in the US. Um, that and ask, Israel. And Israel, yes. They're asking questions about what you've done is uh, somehow more relevant to your potential risk um, than who you are. I mean, the CBC beautifully pointed it out it was about the fact that if a man who has sex with a man um, has had one partner in the last three months, they cannot give blood. But if a straight man has had dozens of partners, a new partner every day of the week, they can give blood. Um, it's completely divorced from, from the activity. Mm. Uh, but apparently... Or the risk. Or the risk. Yeah. But Canadian Blood Services has now decided that, and, uh, that they're going to be doing it based on risk. Are you hopeful, Gary? Are you are you seeing potentially that uh, things may open up? And adding on to the are you hopeful question, what do you think that this potential change could have around the stigma against uh, folks living with HIV and uh, you know you know the, the the anxiety around getting tested? You no, know, talking to your the the heterosexual that has tons of relationships. I was aghast when somebody I know and an acquaintance I have admitted that they use Canadian blood services as their testing. Oh, man. 
Okay, so when he, when that person went into a new relationship, they both went to give blood to see if they had HIV. Oh my God. So, so you know, like the, the, when, the, when the blame is put on solely on uh, men who have sex with men, it's like complete another bull for me. So uh, seeing this, how they're going to roll it out, if it is the way that we saw it, there's still going to be some issues about... Uh, about how the questions are going to be mounted finally. So I've seen them, but the, I'd like to see the final put through with Health Canada to see how they're going to be there finally. For people who are living with HIV today, they cannot give blood. They will not be able to give blood mm -hmm. after this is, is uh, brought to Health Canada and it's approved. I think it's going to allow us to have a bit more we say in French, la fierté, is to have, you know, we're going to breathe more open towards giving blood and being able to walk in to a Canadian blood services clinic and say, I'm going to give blood. But alas, the door may close. Mm -hmm. So we have to ensure that Canadian blood services does have the, the right science in the behavioral questionnaire that they're putting forward. Because there was a couple of things that I still need to see that I saw in October that could disqualify gay men from giving blood. So that's what I'd like to ensure. But it's going to be a very interesting dynamic where I have not been able to give blood for the last... I've been open about my sexuality for since my 30s. So... Uh, for the last 30 years, I, I was not giving blood and I will be able to. And, uh, you know, like uh, it's especially true to people who have people, to people around them that need blood products and we can't even help them. Mm. Like my husband receives um, uh, intravenous uh, blood transfusions every week. So I will be able to contribute blood for that if I can give blood, but I don't think I will be able to because I have diabetes. Mm. There's just another barrier to giving blood. So, um, and there's Crohn's disease that's in there. There's a whole slew of things that do still are barriers to giving blood. But I mean, I think it's gonna, it's gonna help a lot on the stigma for uh, gay men to be able to give blood. And it's gonna be, put us on the same, uh, the same uh, building, uh, the same, starting point as everybody else. So it's a one less stigma inducing thing that we have to go through as being a gay man. You know, on the one hand, I think that there is a large group of people who have been literally untapped um, for, for donating. And, and that is, uh, that is specifically gay men. But uh, at the same time, I do really want to encourage uh, you know, our community to go out and donate blood if and when they are available. Because, of course, they presented this information to the Canadian Public Health uh, Agency. However, they now have to mull it all over and, and make some decisions. I think there'll need to be some pressure on the health minister to make that decision quickly um, and not drag it out. Because now the Canadian Blood Services put, has put the ball quite firmly in Public Health Canada's court. But, you know, I just want to open a little uh, parenthesis here is that it was only it was not only gay men, it was transgender people. Mm. It was also non-binary people. 
because non-binary were the wild card that we found out last year were blocked from giving blood also. Mm. So with that, so, you know, like this questionnaire, for me, if we're going to the questionnaire based in science, but the whole thing about having had sexual partners and the risk levels has to be really flushed correctly, that it doesn't induce stigma, nor does it induce shame. Mm. Because if that's the way we're going to go into a secondary interview after with somebody dwelled in, in the process of giving blood, that could be really triggering for a lot of people. And I don't want to see that happen. And those are the things that we brought to the Canadian Blood Services uh, to discuss with them to, so that they're under, they do fully understand the harm that they've brought upon gay men for the, for the last, since the 80s. All, you know, there's a lot of harm that lies there. And there's a lot of people that have lived with that harm. And there's going to be triggers to going back to the blood system and giving blood. So, you know, you don't want to re-impact somebody who's already living with shame, stigma, and uh, has been discriminated against. So I really want to ensure that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. it's, going to be, it's going to be, I think, a challenge to convince folks to, to come back and uh, donate blood, or for the first time, even consider it, especially Gen Z. Um, this seems to be yet another um, baby step for now. I will. Would you? Uh, would you want to donate blood if it did open up? Like you and I go on a blood date. Well, I'm British, so as far as Canadian Blood Services is concerned, you have all, mad cows. We're all struck yeah. down with the mad cow disease. So that's just me, and I, I'm I'm crawling with autoimmune diseases. My plasma is useful. It it is weird. Very personally weird for me that of the three of us, I am the most medically fit to donate blood. <laughs> you're one step, well, you're, you're one diagnosis shy of being a werewolf, isn't it? Like that's, uh, <laughs> geez, Louise. I'm sure it was lupus you, uh, you were getting. No, no, the, I had a doctor tell me it was probably lupus, but it's hard to diagnose. So we'll just treat the symptoms, which is very comforting, but. <laughs> Jeez, I still reckon Welcome to our werewolf. spell system in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> it's like stupid. Oh God. You know, we might be we might be a bad example, but there are people <laughs> listening who are fit as a fiddle and ready to donate blood. Uh, Luke, if we take you remember Pulse, the nightclub yes. in Orlando. Mm. If we take that as, a, as an example for blood donations, I think you're going to be quite surprised to see the number of gay men lining up to give blood because mm. during that time if i remember correctly they were trying to get into the blood donor clinics to give blood the gay men you know so i think there's going to be we're just going to need one encouragement and i think the doors are going to open but the sure. encouragement will have to be well founded as you have just well said you know it makes me think of the history of our community you know the reason why lesbians are so revered by by our community is because they often stayed at the bedside during the AIDS crisis you know and we lost so many incredible people friends family loved ones during the AIDS uh, crisis in the 80s um, and that's mm -hmm. when the door got closed that's when the door got closed to us being able to help each other and the community as a whole. And for decades, that door has been slammed in our face. So it's going to take a while to build that trust back up between Canadian Blood Services and the gay community. Yeah. 
Because I mean, you know, for HIV today, a HIV positive couple can have a HIV negative child. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking rocket science here. It exists, you know, and, you know, giving blood is giving life. So it's, it's the basic necessity of life. Let's get over this. Let's get it done right. And let's move on to bigger and better things. I think more concrete good news is the silver lining to this pandemic is that mRNA research Mm, and and anti-vaccine research has gone. It it has accelerated to such a degree that, uh, you know, work on the HIV vaccine is, is... now at least a few steps closer than it was five years ago. Yeah, actually, I read something recently. It was like the history of the mRNA, mRNA vaccine. And they were saying that the the reason why the corona vaccine came out so incredibly quickly was because they were already trying to develop a vaccine against the common cold just to see if they could do it as practice for a vaccine against HIV. Um, and the common cold and corona, at least genetically, are very, very similar. So it really was just, well, send us the genetic profile of the COVID virus. And then they just typed it into a computer and pressed print and it printed out basically, like I'm over summarizing, but it basically printed out the COVID vaccine basically in a two day period. So we are on the doorstep of like some really interesting medical interventions for sure. The, the, the problem that we're living in now, Sebastian, is that Everything else that was not coronavirus or COVID-19 mm-hmm. has been put on a back burner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And it's going to take decades to re to move the dial anywhere. And that's what I'm terribly afraid of moving forward. You know, like it's not only the price gouging and everything that you can, you're trying to buy or acquire is, oh, you can't get it because of this or you can't get it because it's too expensive now. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, like you have to you have to set aside what's a manufactured price hike and what's a real price hike and what's for. And when you come back to your health is how fast are they going to be able to uh, reinvigorate the health system to respond yeah. to other illnesses and affectations? Yeah, yeah. that's what's scary. I mean, yeah. it's interesting that uh, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, recently, but well, not too recently, I think earlier this summer, said that he wants uh, Britain to be HIV-free by 2030, uh, which is a, a shocking <laughs> announcement. Um, but this is bearing in mind that uh, PrEP was just rolled out across Britain not too long ago as well. And I think it was all sort of tied into the sort of ambitious plan to use PrEP and, and uh, antiretrovirals and so on to lower the, the instances of new, tra- new transmission. Um, do you think that 2030 is a reasonable estimate there, Gary? For England, yes, it was. Uh, we have to see how um, dismantled the HIV network is, is because they, there was a couple of huge HIV networks that were being dismantled before COVID because they were saying, well, we're on our way to HIV zero because the UNAID statement of 1990-90, which has been enhanced to 95-95 now, can't endorse it, but we're the, 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 lag, the most lagging country in the G7 with the targets for HIV. So we're it's not Canada. gonna, yeah, mm-hmm. we're not gonna get there. And at this moment, as we're speaking, People aren't getting tested 
for HIV or other STBBIs. We have mother to child transmissions of syphilis, epidemic proportions of syphilis in Alberta. Hmm. We have, and we have mother to child transmission of HIV across the country at the moment because people aren't getting tested. They're not being brought to care. So infections are abounding at the moment because people don't know their status. And I'm sorry, but home testing is not going to be able to quell the rise in HIV and other STBBI cases because one helps to increase the other infection. So mm. what we're facing at the moment is a dilemma where the government is, has underinvested, undersupported community action across Canada that's, detri- that's becoming detrimental to our own health system here in Canada because the, the rise in uh, sexually transmitted diseases, God, the, what we're hearing out of the provinces is, is detrimental to our overall health outcomes yeah, it's pretty moving shocking. forward. It is shocking. And uh, what's especially shocking is they the don't Canadian. Care. Oops, sorry. Go on. They don't care. Sorry, but they don't care. That's the problem. Mm. There's, there's spaces that you're able to say we have to ensure that X, Y, and Z go forward during these pandemics. So when there's crossover pandemic, pandemics or epidemics happening at the same time, you have to ensure that the basic asset access to health is being maintained. Mm. And that's where we lost the fight. I think it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, the general public's casual points of contact with the health system, your, you know, standard visits to the GP. It's assuming you have a GP. Not, not many of those yeah. have been happening whilst the whole health system has been yeah. reeling under the pressure from the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who are, I haven't seen a doctor in years because, you know, I, I yeah. got myself a GP, which was a very exciting moment. And then uh, I've not seen him in years because the pandemic happened and, and things have just been a bit too much. Is that what you think is partly driving this resurgence in cases that people aren't interacting with their primary care physicians? I think it's a multi-pronged thing because I think it's that is the main the base problem then there's the health officials thought that we weren't having sex which was <laughs> which was like hey you know remember Teresa tam telling people to uh, have sex through your mask and the best the best ones that came out were the were from england the guidance for sexual uh, encounters so to think that the bushes wouldn't wouldn't move anymore and to think that people wouldn't hook up anymore was completely and totally ridiculous and uh, so that those all together were drivers to increase and all the nurses and the uh, health specialists that were working in sexual health clinics were all transferred over to COVID so we had the whole testing network and network in Canada was completely disseminated and that's, you know, like the condom distribution, the safer sex practices, uh, the community organizations were had to flip and reorientate in a new way. And I'm sorry, but, you know, like 
if you need a prostate exam, it's not by a phone call with your doctor that you're going to get your prostate exam. I'm sorry, but there's no USB for that yet. <laughs> and there's no, you know, and uh, so it's, it's, you have to evolve in a way that the essential safety net of our health system is maintained during these trying times. And there are ways to make them happen. You could bring on community organizations to do some basic screenings that uh, were exclusively for healthcare workers that are adaptable to that setting. So uh, there was, there's, it's scary out there at the moment, I find, for a lot of people. And to re-engage people into testing or into healthcare settings as we go forward is going to be really dicey because mm. people are going to be really hesitant to go into them. I don't want our listeners to feel powerless and, mm-hmm. and in a world that's getting worse um, mm-hmm. because there are simple actions that our listeners can take to protect themselves and protect the ones that they love. But most importantly, becoming aware of their own status, you know, be a negative or yeah. positive and, and going and getting tested. Now you've partnered with a wide range of uh, international partners. And uh, I think Galid is even one of your, your partners for the International Testing Week, which is internationaltestingweek.ca, very nice and easy to find website. And I, you know, it, it is this week, a time of broadcast, you know, as we are hearing it, this is the week to, to really make that extra bit of effort and, and find out your own status. What was the drive between working with international partners and sort of reinvigorating this push to get Canadians tested? Well, we had started in 2018, the HIV testing day, which morphed into a week because of COVID-19. And then uh, this year, we were uh, offered a partnership with uh, La Coalition Plus out of Paris that have an international testing week in 55 countries. What was completely lacking in our landscape in Canada was a testing initiative from the community. So that's what we instigated in 2018 to a huge success. It was something that was missing completely in the landscape. But above and beyond the testing that we do, it's an awareness campaign at the same time where we're able to discuss HIV and other STBBIs out there. So what, what's interesting is that 60% of the people that get tested during these initiatives are, are testing naive. So they've never been tested before. That's the first thing. 40% also, uh, 40% of the balance have not been tested in the last year. So what, what we're doing is that there are over 80 points, uh, 80 events happening in the, this week in National HIV, I'm sorry, in International Testing Week uh, across Canada. And you could go on the website, internationaltestingweek.ca and see where these events are happening. And uh, you could also in Ontario, get a kit through the mail for HIV, but be sure that you're taking a more holistic approach to your sexual health. It's not only HIV. You could have been at risk for other things like chlamydia, like gonorrhea, like syphilis, like many other infections that are out there. So just take control of your sexual health and it's, uh, it's the time to do it and do it in uh, either a private setting or you can go to a clinic and have it done or a community organization. There are tons of them around and uh, through the site where you find a testing site near you, there are also 
uh, a landing page for HIV 411 where you could get sexual health testing throughout the year or the Portail VIH in Quebec. So there's tons of resources there for you. And uh, there's no shame in getting tests today. It's just as, as easy and effective as getting a blood test. So, but uh, you don't have to have a blood test for HIV. All you have to do is prick your finger and you have the test results in one minute. So, you know, I mean, like we have our, which is biolytical that have provided self-testing kits across Canada for us. And we have the I'm ready campaign, as I said, get, get a kit out of Ontario. So you have multiple different approaches to your sexual health testing. And we encourage you to get involved in it next week and to talk about to share our posts on social media so we could really get a buzz and something going. But I'd like to emphasize that this is an initiative that the government does not even invest in, that they don't find they need to invest in. And it's something that does not even exist in the landscape. Mm. So it's uh, really unfortunate because HIV or sexual health testing exists in every G7 country. Maybe that's why we're not getting to our numbers, you know, leaving uh, tons of populations behind when we're not talking about easy, open discussions about sexual health, which are so much fun to have. And ideally, it would be a, a panel and not just HIV, because the, the yeah. cost of testing is coming down. So, I mean, obviously, you should definitely know your HIV status. But, I mean, the, the, the idea of getting a full panel, usually you have to go into a clinic and they draw a unit, not a unit, that's a whole bag, like the little vial, um, and, and test that. But, it, you know, I am incredibly encouraged that, you know, 28.6 million Canadians over the age of 12, have taken the health into their own hands and gone and got the vaccine. So tens of millions of Canadians have taken control of where they are in this pandemic and, you know, taken that forward. Sure, the government is dealing with COVID-19 and the major health crisis that it is. Well, sincerely hope that everyone listening goes and checks out and see what's happening in your community. Um, your local public health authority should be able to get a hold of these tests pretty easily. And you know, like we, we have different technologies out there, like out of our national laboratories out of Winnipeg, we have dry blood spot testing also. So you're able to have multiple infection, potential infections tested at the same time. You don't even have to have a blood draw anymore. So, you know, like there's tons of ways of doing it. And depending of where you are, you could always find a place, just type in your HIV resources or go to the Canadian AIDS Society website and uh, you could get all that information. And, you know, like, as you said, Luke, you know, taking control of your sexual health is just as important as your health. So it's, uh, you know, like it's part, it should be part of your yearly discussion with your doctor and be open with your doctor. It's like going to church for Christ's sake. They're not allowed to tell anybody anything. So, <laughs> so you know, like you have to have a confidant for your sexual health. Let it be your doctor or your specialized nurse. Why not? You know, if you're lucky enough to have one, use them to their utmost availability. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, when we get back uh, last segment, we'll be talking about a health clinic that's opened up in Toronto that is taking a bit of a whole big picture approach to sexual health and overall health. But uh, before we do that, I want to thank Gary so much for taking the time to join us 
And I implore all of our listeners who can donate blood to do so. And everybody should be checking in on their sexual health and uh, go and get tested. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. It was a beautiful time to be with you again. Thank you. Only two roads out of this town. Break free or they'll break you down. Did the blood stain your crown when you carried us away? home of Canada's queer media. My name is still Luke Smith. Unfortunately, those two incredible interviews have ran us uh, pretty much right out of time. 
uh, with all of that being said, we do have, uh, we will be talking next week about World AIDS Day, which is taking place December 1st. Mark your calendars, uh, folks. And we will be talking about the HQ Health Club, Healthcare Hub that I mentioned a little earlier um, as well next week, along with a bunch of other stories about the National uh, Memorial to the LGBT Purge, which recently had the finalists announced uh, for the Ottawa Physical Memorial, and of course the French Dictionary trying to introduce a third gendered pronoun into the dictionary. So really interesting conversations that we did not have time for today that we will be getting into next week. Earlier, we heard Love, the bedroom version by Orchidee, as I had mentioned in the start of our interview. And then we heard A Hundred Years, the clean version by Amanda Rium, uh, the incredible Métis artist. And then we then heard, or we will be hearing as we play out, Sunlight by Cis Lopez. And that's all for now. I've been Luke Smith. We've had the incredible Sebastian Blanc with us. Thank you for listening. Keep it safe in